0: It's kind of uh, rare that I stand up here in a kind of hip uh, role, but uh, thank you, David. I I wish I could really claim the credit for that. Uh, A friend of mine emailed me and said, hey, there's this song. You should uh, should hear it, and uh, I thought, that's a good one, and uh, that's how that uh, all happened, but uh, I'm glad you could all participate. David, thank you for making it happen this morning. Good stuff. Well, Thanksgiving is now behind us and hopefully, it was a good opportunity for you to welcome others round your table. I was thinking about how interesting it is that food is central to so much of our celebrating. Just imagine a wedding without food, uh, or Christmas without the big meals that go with that. Food is important to us. And I think it always has been. This is true of celebrations down the centuries, down the ages, and all around the world. Eating is a social thing when it comes down to it. And kids learn this very early on. So many of you are aware that uh, I have a 17-month-old grandson now. And uh, he comes up into our kitchen. Uh, He can climb the stairs quite easily these days. And uh, if we're sitting and eating, even if he has had a meal down below uh, in, in our, in our sweet basement, uh, he clearly thinks that uh, he needs to be part of the meal too. And he'll look up at me and he'll go, up, Grandpa. And, and he will just feast right on in with it. I mean, we're, we're kind of wired. We're wired for eating together. And, uh, and food is important to us. So, in our current series, we're working through the Gospel of Luke, exploring the theme of Jesus, our neighbor. And we're looking to see the kinds of things He has to teach us about how to love our neighbors well. And we've already seen in the last few sermons uh, that there are a number of things, uh, including last week, where Jesus smashed across the social divides uh, of the uh, land in which he lived and, uh, and reached out and crossed the line to love the centurion who had a sick servant and uh, probably scandalized people by his willingness to even talk or communicate uh, across such a divide. This week, we're looking at what we can learn from the last part of Luke chapter 7, and I've entitled it, eating with the neighbors. Now, we don't get a lot of context for the dinner invite that Jesus receives from Simon. Simon was a Pharisee. Pharisees were a strict sect of the Jewish religion, and their members seem to have had frequent run-ins with Jesus uh, as we read the Gospels. Often, Jesus manages to upset them by saying or doing things that break the rules that they take so seriously so we don't really know at the outset whether Simon was interested in having a real conversation a heart to heart with Jesus uh, around his uh, supper table or whether he was just interested in having Jesus to his home because Jesus was the celebrity of the month uh, and was this young rabbi who was healing people and was achieving fame. Uh, and so Simon thought, whoa here 's a, a let 's have him to supper." What was going on? we don 't really know. But we, what we are told is that Jesus went. And, and that, I think, in itself, if we 're thinking about neighboring, is something that we might want to take note of. it 's worth reminding ourselves that neighboring is an adventure. And it's an adventure to which the answer should be yes. So, a neighbor invites you over to help out with some problem they're having? Say yes. A neighbor invites you to a party they're running? Say yes. A neighbor invites you to dinner? Say yes. Jesus certainly seems to have operated on that basis. Like, what harm can it do? Let's see what happens. And things started to liven up at this dinner party when an uninvited guest showed up. She's a woman who, in Luke's terminology, had lived a sinful life in that town. Now, she may have been a prostitute, but perhaps more likely is that she was a woman a bit like the woman that Jesus met at the well in Samaria a woman who had been divorced by her husband and left in the twilight zone of no social standing and no means of legitimate income in a time where there was no social services or support network. All of this means that she was almost certainly a victim and was experiencing poverty and hardship, And when she heard that Jesus was in town, she desperately wanted to be close to Him. What was going on in her head, we're not really sure. Maybe she had been part of the crowds, and maybe she had watched Jesus operate around people, and maybe she had thought, this one's different. This one welcomes people, even people like me. whatever it was, her need to be close to Jesus led her to take a big risk and to invade, effectively, a private function in Simon's home. I think we have to be careful. Uh, (coughs) The realities of Middle Eastern hospitality and the way houses were set up were different at that time. And so, it's, it's quite easy for us to kind of read our own social conventions into this and not appreciate that maybe this was in a courtyard uh, and there was more access uh, to this room and maybe the lines of private and public weren't quite so specific. I mean, maybe there was a whole crowd of people gathered in because Jesus was at the party. Whatever it was, the dinner party took an interesting turn when she approached Jesus sobbing and started weeping over Him as He reclined at the table. As she cries, her tears fall on Jesus' feet, and stooping over, she dries His feet with her hair. Hair is important. Talk to any woman that you know, and they'll tell you, is important. And with her hair, she dries his dirty feet. That says something. And then she opens up this container of perfume that she has and pours some of, some of it on his feet, kissing them as she does. Now, however you imagine this scene. It's awkward, right? This is just awkward. I imagine the room going very quiet, as everyone waited to see what would happen next. No one speaks exactly, but there's an awful lot of thinking going on. And although he doesn't speak, what Simon is thinking is pretty clear at least, to Jesus. From our read of what I believe Jesus heard Simon thinking, it's pretty clear that Simon hasn't made up his mind about who Jesus is. He's checking Jesus out if he's a prophet. He should have figured out what kind of woman this is, thinks Simon. In Simon's world, you don't get close to people like this. Holiness is about staying apart. Don't get contaminated. Keep clear. And here Jesus is not keeping clear. He's letting this happen to him. And therefore, in Simon's frame, Jesus is not a prophet. He's not reading this right. He should be putting distance between him and her. Hmm. Lots of people in our world look at the church and see the church doing exactly that. We don't want you in here. We've got it. You haven't. Don't mess with us. Is that not right? Into the silence around that table, Jesus then speaks. Simon, he says, I've got something to say. Speak, says Simon. And he tells a little story. An easy little story, really. A money lender, banker, if you will, who has lent some money. Not vast amounts, 500 denarii and 50 denarii. The only deal is, neither of those who take the loans can pay up. What does the money lender do? He forgives both. And then Jesus asks a very simple question. So, Simon, which of the two will love the moneylender the most? Well, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? The one with the most borrowed, who's had the most forgiven. Yeah, you're right, says Jesus. And then he turns it. And it's actually beautiful the way Jesus handles this. It's a stunning upheaval, if you like. And he starts with a question. Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? I think that is actually the key, co- key question. Had Simon actually seen the woman? I don't think Simon actually had. I think what Simon had seen was a stereotype that he had placed in a box, he had a category. He had a category for women like that. And as soon as he set eyes on her, he built his stereotype around her, dropped her in the box, and nothing and no one was going to persuade him that that box should be opened. So had he seen the woman? He'd seen a woman, but I don't think he'd seen that woman. Paul Williams, preaching a couple of weeks ago, reminded us that Jesus sees, even when we don't, and Jesus sees us when other people just see what they want to see. But even if Simon can't see the woman, Jesus can. And then he very gently reinterprets her actions in a way that totally affirms her as a person. And he carefully points out to Simon his own deficiencies as a host. Simon, you missed out. You missed out on the opportunity of washing my feet. In the Middle East, a normal act of hospitality as people came in was to provide water, and usually a slave, who would wash the visitor's feet. It was a sign of respect, it got rid of the dust, and it welcomed people into the home. Simon had kind of missed that one, but the woman hadn't. She washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And then Jesus says, Simon, you missed out on an opportunity to welcome me with a kiss. Perhaps you are suspicious of who I am. Perhaps you are doubtful that I'm a prophet. But you kept back. (coughs) Excuse me. You didn't kiss me. You didn't welcome me. I lived for uh, a few months in the south, or for a year in the south of France, and I lived in a family there. And uh, I'm a, uh, well, I'm British, as you know, and very English in that. I found myself in a crazy family a family of Latins with Moroccan and Polish-Jewish roots who were very affectionate, and after a few months of living there, Jose, my host, said to me, Andy, in the morning, you don't kiss me, and I was like, what? (laughs) But actually, it was important in their culture, you kiss people, actually three times. Getting into church on a Sunday morning was crazy. (laughs) You had to go around everybody who came in. We kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed. By the time I'd had my kind of induction in life in Mediterranean culture, when I got back to England, I thought, why are people so cold? (laughs) Anyway, kissing. But Simon missed out. But the woman didn't. She kissed Jesus' feet. And then Jesus says, you missed out on anointing my head with oil, another sign of great respect to a welcomed guest. And she hasn't. She's anointed my feet with perfume. And then in a delightful twist, he pronounces that her many sins have been forgiven. Oh, Jesus knows about her. Jesus sees her And he knows everything about her. There are many sins there, all right. But rather than put her in the many sins box, he puts her in the forgiven box. And he says, hey, they're forgiven. And then he says, she's forgiven much, because she loved much. And her love poured out on Jesus was the sign to Jesus that his forgiveness was not only needed, but would be received. And then to Simon, he says... Those who have been forgiven little love little too. In the final part of this passage, Jesus addresses the woman directly. Your sins are forgiven. We're not told anything about her reaction to this, but can you imagine What it felt like to have Jesus, the Son of God, look you in the eye and say, That? What grace! What a gift! You're forgiven. And of course, because it's a Jewish supper party and there are good Jews around this table and they know all about forgiveness, for Jesus to say this incenses them. Who is this? They ask. Claiming to forgive sin. They were good Jews. They knew. Only God forgives sins. That's what the whole temple apparatus was about. If you had a problem with sin, you went to the temple, you sacrificed an animal, you dealt with the priest, and then he eventually said, you're you're forgiven. But it was all about God's preserve. And here at a supper table, this rabbi guy simply says, you're forgiven? Outrageous. Jesus is totally unperturbed by that. He tells the woman that her faith has saved her. And he tells her to go in peace. You know, this is a really beautiful story. But what are we to make of it? And what do we learn about Jesus our neighbor through this one? Well, there are three main characters in this little story, and it may be helpful to think about each in turn. First of all, there is Simon, the unhappy host. To give him his due, he did try to host a meal for his neighbors. But in inviting Jesus as one of them, he got a lot more than he bargained for. He was revealed through his conversation with Jesus as the host who loved little. He missed the importance of truly welcoming his guests, especially the woman, but also Jesus. And I think it was his concern for his own reputation and uh, the propriety that uh, seemed to rule his life that dominated His suspicion of Jesus came through. His fixation with external appearances seems to have blinded him to the true worth of both Jesus and the woman. I have to admit that I have often been Simon. I find it easy to be judgmental. To slot people into categories that involve, that absolve me of responsibility to love them. It's very easy for people brought up in the church to do that. We often don't know much about life, real life. We don't know how people live or are forced to live. And we find it easy to judge. Throwing rocks is our way of stopping being contaminated. The Simon in me needs to keep coming back to Jesus in repentance, to be reminded of just how much I have been forgiven for, in order that I can live out grace with generosity and kindness and much love. Some of you here can relate to that. Lord, help us not to be Simon's. It's not the way Jesus was. It's not the way the church is supposed to be. And you've heard me say often, this church is a community of broken people that Jesus is Drawing to himself. If we're here, it's because we need him. If we're here, it's because he is the one who has grace and forgiveness for broken people like us. Who are we to turn around and look at someone else and say, you don't belong, you don't fit, you're beyond the pale of Jesus' love for you? The moment we do that, We've missed the boat. We are people of little love and little understanding of the heart of Jesus. And then there's the woman. Her life was not easy, but she correctly identified Jesus as different and thought that he would be welcoming to her Despite all the chaos of her life, she doesn't seem to have considered or perhaps even known what she wanted or needed, other than that she had to get to Jesus. As she poured out her love in His direction, she received much forgiveness And Jesus told her it was her faith that saved her. So what is faith? From this story, I would say that faith is the impulse that drives us to Jesus. It's not some magical quality out there that we have to strive for. It's just an awareness that Jesus has something that we don't have, and it's the driver that moves us in that direction. Too often I hear people say to me, ah, Andy, you have faith, it's fine for you, but I don't have faith. I just want to say, get over yourself. Get to Jesus. That's all you got to do. Get to Jesus. Meet Jesus. And you'll find you'll have faith because you, when you meet him, you discover just how good he is. He looks, at, he looks you in the eye and he says, I love you and I forgive you and I welcome you into my family. Faith, get to Jesus. It's that simple. The point at which any of us realize that we are broken, helpless, and in need of grace is the point at which Jesus can meet us with grace, love, and mercy. Some of you are maybe here this morning thinking, well, Andy, it's kind of nice for you to talk about this, but you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. No, I don't. But Jesus does. And this story is one to grab hold of and acknowledge that, hey, we don't know all this woman's story, but it was probably bad. It was a lot of pain, a lot of shame. And yet Jesus had no problem forgiving her. So my question to you this morning, if you're in that space, is why do you think you are worse than her? Jesus, see, Jesus is not like Simon. Jesus sees people for who they are. He sees the pain. He sees the loss. He sees the brokenness. And he reaches out in love and grace and mercy, and he says, hey, could I forgive you? I died for you after all. I'd love to I love to forgive. Forgiveness is my thing. I want to do it. Receive my forgiveness. I tell you, forgiveness is sweet. Forgiveness is great. Forgiveness when we realize we don't have to pay. It's paid for. It's as good as it gets. I can relate to the woman. I'm a broken person. I've received the mercy and the grace of Jesus and his forgiveness. I'm loved. I don't have to pretend that I have it all together. I'm loved. And so are you. And Jesus, well, we've seen that Jesus said yes to the adventure of neighboring It's clear that he loved both Simon and the woman. He dared to speak plainly to both. The Apostle John tells us that while the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Simon got truth, but was his heart open enough to receive the grace that Jesus had for him? or even to recognize that he had actually entertained the son of god for supper. The woman received grace and the deep truth of her own forgiveness. Jesus models for us the ability to love people, to get close to them, into those deep heart areas where the real issues are laid bare and the grace of God could actually be found. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for plunging into the mess of our humanity and for taking the time to speak truth to the Simons in us And also to the woman in us. Lord Jesus, we come here humbly this morning, not as those who have it all together, but as those who need you. Lord, would we all hear your voice speaking to us forgiveness. Forgiveness for all the times we've blown it like Simon, and for all the times. We've blown it like the woman. Would you, in your mercy, reassure us of your love and grace today? And would you change our hearts so that we can live out your grace to our neighbors too? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.